Sam Howell is widely regarded as the best quarterback in North Carolina history. Drake May has only started two games in his young Tar Heel career, but he's already got me wondering, is Drake May going to one day surpass Sam Howell? You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Tuesday, September 6, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first watch or your first listen every single day. Please don't forget that the show is free and available anywhere you get podcasts so you can subscribe right now really easily so that you don't miss a single second of your team every day. All right, friends, it's Tuesday, and so that means we got to get right into a Tuesday trivia question. We've already teased Drake May a little bit, and that's right what this trivia question is about. You ready? What Heisman-winning quarterback in the 2000s had more total TDs than Drake May through the first two games of his Heisman-winning season? One more time. Which Heisman-winning quarterback in the 2000s had more total TDs accounted for than Drake May through the first two games of his Heisman winning season. I want to know who it is, what year, who he played for, and how many he had. And uh, go ahead and answer because the answer to today's Trivia Tuesday question is coming up in the first segment. So get ready. Because we're starting off right now talking about Drake May. I know there's a lot of grumbling about the defense going on and they got a lot to work on and they're owning that and talking about it. And that's great. But we also have to recognize that Drake may, at least for me, maybe, maybe you saw this coming and congrats if you did go buy a lottery ticket, but Drake may has done things these first two games that has far exceeded my expectations for him. And so in the same way that we talk about how porous the defense has been, we have to talk about how ridiculously explosive the offense have been. Drake May is off to an historic start in his Tar Heel career. Again, sure, it's just two games, incredibly small sample size, but what he's doing has been phenomenal because if he continues on the trajectory he's on, the sky's the limit or the ceiling is the roof, you might even say. So here's what I did. I went back and looked at the numbers from Sam Howell's first two games, and I took Drake May's numbers from his first two games, and I compared them. Of the 10 categories that I looked at, Drake May has eclipsed Sam Howell in all but one of them, and even that is kind of like, yeah, whatever. Here we go. Passing completions. 53 for Drake May, 31 for Sam Howell. Passing attempts, 73 to 48 Drake May. Completion percentage, 72.6 to 64.6, so a full eight points higher for Drake May. Passing yards, 646 to Sam Howell's 519. Passing touchdowns, this one is a wide difference. Drake May has nine to Sam Howell's four. Drake May had five in his first game, for crying out loud. Interceptions, neither of them threw an interception in their first game. In their first two games, I should say, excuse me. Rushing attempts, this is where Sam Howell had more. He had 21 attempts to Drake May's 16 but the difference is in the rushing yards. Drake May has 131 rushing yards in his first two games compared to Sam Howell's negative three. Now, keep in mind, 
in college, they uh, factor sack yard sack uh, yardage into the amount of rushing yards. So that's probably factoring in there as well. Rushing touchdowns. Drake May has one to Sam Howell's zero. And then total touchdowns. Drake May has 10 to Sam Howell's four. Now, one thing we certainly have to keep in mind here is the level of competition both these guys played in their first two games. Drake May, Florida A&M, and App State on the road, to be fair, in a, in a tough environment. Sam Howell, South Carolina at a neutral site, and Miami at home. So much higher level competition that Sam Howell was going against. Also, in a uh, <laughs> true freshman season compared to Drake May's redshirt freshman season. So we keep all those things in mind. But the bottom line for both of them, they both started their careers 2-0 for North Carolina. And that, like, let's let's not pit these guys against each other. Let's celebrate the way they both started their career. The question going forward is, where does Drake May go next? Sam Howell had a three-game losing streak after those first two uh, wins that he had, one of which was against that same App State team. Now, I went a little bit farther here because I didn't want to just see what how Drake May compared to Sam Howell. I thought, I mean, these numbers seem really good to me. I wonder how they compare to the highest level of quarterbacks in the nation. So what I did, I went back and looked at the numbers from the first two games for every Heisman winning quarterback in the 2000s in their Heisman winning season. So not all of their seasons, just the season in which they won the Heisman. What were their numbers in their first two games? So for example, I looked at the numbers from last year for Bryce Young's first two games or for Joe Burrow's first two games in 2019. That that kind of thing is what we're talking about here. Um, 18 of those seasons and 19 total if you include Drake May. So we're talking about where does Drake May rank 1 to 19 in these stat categories. I use those same 10 categories I just talked about between Drake May and Sam Howell. And keep in mind, as I go through this list, we're going to get to the answer to the Tuesday trivia question. So stay tuned. Where does Drake May rank in completions? Third, third on this list. Chris Winkie from Florida State is at the top of it in 2000. He had 57 completions, just four more than Drake May. Attempts, Drake May had 73, which is second on this list. Uh, Chris Winkie had 88, just the only one above him. Completion percentage, Drake May was down at seventh with that 72.6%. Jameis Winston leads the way on that list with 88.9%. Obviously, infinitely less uh, attempts for him there. What about passing yards? Remember, Drake May had 646. That's fifth on this list of all the Heisman winners of the 2000s. Chris Winkie leads that category as well with 761. Passing touchdowns. Again, this is amongst every Heisman winner, every quarterback Heisman winner of the 2000s, first two games of their Heisman winning season. He is tied for first, Drake May is, with Joe Burrow with nine passing touchdowns. Interceptions. We've already said he had zero. That obviously is tied for first because you can't have fewer than that. Uh, Ten total of these quarterbacks had zero interceptions their first two games. What about rushing attempts? 16, that's seventh on the list. Still in the top 10 there. Eric Crouch led the way with 39. And then here's where we get to Lamar Jackson territory because this is rushing yards in the first two games. 
Drake May had 131. That's fourth on the list. That's really good. Lamar Jackson had 318 rushing yards in two games for Louisville in 2016. That's bonkers. Rushing TDs. Drake May has one, which is tied for ninth. Lamar Jackson had six. Six rushing touchdowns his first two games that year. That's ridiculous. And then total TDs. Here comes the answer to the trivia question. Drake May has 10. One of only two of these Heisman winning quarterbacks and Drake May to get into double digits in total TDs in those first two games. And that's second to only the guy we've just been talking about. Lamar Jackson had 13 total touchdowns responsible for in the first two games of 2016. I mean, that's ridiculous. But what does all this say about Drake May? That's my question. That's what we're looking at. How does he compare to these 18 other Heisman winning quarterbacks in their first two games? All those categories we just looked at, he is top 10 in every one of them comparatively. I mean, that's phenomenal. Here's the thing, though, with each of them, obviously, is consistency. It wasn't just the first two games. They're doing this across the entirety of their Heisman winning seasons, maybe even having bigger games other points in the year in big moments. These guys went out and proved it week after week after week and did so for really high level or at least winning teams. And so um, that that's what Drake May now has to go forward and do. Prove that, hey, I didn't just do it against Florida A&M and just do it against App State. But I'm going to do it again when we go to Georgia State. And then it really kicks in. We're really going to learn something when Carolina hosts Notre Dame for their fourth game of the season. What does Drake May do then? And what do the Tar Heels do then? I, I think, keep in mind, Heisman is always not just about numbers for a crappy team. It's about numbers for really good teams that perform well. So I, I don't doubt he'll do fine this, this weekend again at Georgia State, unless he does so well that Jake Jacoby Criswell comes in and gets a lot of time. But again, Notre Dame, that's where we're really going to start finding out what Drake May is really, really, really all about. Got to be honest, I don't think he's dropping off. Now, I'm not ordaining Drake a Heisman hopeful this year or even a Heisman candidate this year, right? But he could be. I'm just saying for now that he's on par with others who have come before him and what they did in the first two games of their Heisman winning seasons. Now, if he continues to do what he's doing, he's going to force his way onto this national scene. If the Tar Heels uh, win and maybe have an eight and four or better regular season, he's going to force himself into this conversation if he keeps putting up those numbers and Carolina keeps winning. But for now, I just want you to see the company he's keeping because it is historic. Well, uh, in just a minute, we're going to talk about how historically good teams find their way into the college football playoff. Going to be a lot more room for a lot more teams to make it starting a couple years from now. I'll tell you all about it right after I talk to you about underdog, which is the easiest and most fun way to spice up your college football season. It's underdog fantasy and their pick'em game for college football. Just look for your favorite Tar Heels stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with higher or lower, over or under, that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your pick em slip, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app. 
While you're there, sign up with promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double, double your first deposit up to $100. So that's potentially free $100 for you. Deposit $100, get $100 free. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code Locked On. Get in on the college football pick'em action today. All right, folks, it's college football playoff expansion season. We're doing it. We're talking about it. It's great news. It's a lot of fun. Wonderful for college football. Last Friday, September 2nd, the board of managers that oversees the college football playoff. Remember, the CFP is not governed by the NCAA. It's not a NCAA entity. Um, it's, it's its own thing. And so anyway, this board of managers unanimously, hear that, unanimously voted to expand the college football playoff from four teams, which it is now, up to 12. That vote takes place in 2020, or excuse me, that change takes place in 2026 based on current agreements and what thing where things are at. However, they are going to look into the possibility, deal, working with conference commissioners and others, to see about moving it up to 2024, so two seasons from now, or 2025. So definitely by 2026, four seasons from now, but maybe there's the possibility of 2025 or 2024, which would be great. So 12 teams, who gets in? We know how it works now. The four highest rated teams, regardless of whether they're conference champions or not, regardless of conference affiliation or whatever it is, the four highest ranked teams when the final CFP poll comes out the day after all those conference championships are over. So now we're going to up it to 12. Okay, so six of these 12 are going to be the six highest ranked conference champs as ranked by the CFP committee. No minimum ranking requirements is part of what they said. Just whomever are the six highest ranked conference champions. It doesn't matter what conference it is. It just matters that you're a conference champion and that you're one of the six highest rated of those conference champs. You're in guaranteed. Beyond that, the other half of the um, playoffs, uh, 12 total teams will be made up of the six highest at-large teams outside of those conference championships champions. So for example, last year, Alabama won the SEC championship. Georgia would get in based on merit of being the highest at large seed. Now they wouldn't be one of those top four seeds, but um, they would get in there. So here's how it works. You got these 12 teams, the top four teams all get buys. And so that is the four highest ranked conference champion teams are in they uh get all of that and so last year just to to look at what it would have looked like those top four teams would have been alabama as the sec champ michigan as the big 10 champ cincinnati as the aac champ yeah and baylor as the big 12 champ so you've got the acc and pac 10 or pac 12 excuse me left out of those top four and so those would have been your top four last year Okay, and so for those first round games, uh, you get those four buys, and then you've got the bottom eight teams. So it would be just like March Madness 16. You'd have 12 at 5, 11th seed at 6, 10 at 7, and 8 at 9. Here's what's interesting about these first round matchups of the lower uh, eight teams in the college football playoff. They will be held at a campus site or a location of the higher seeds choosing. 
These games are going to be played either the second or third weekend of December, just depending on how things fall, with at least 12 days between conference championships and the first round of the college football playoff. The the management committee will ultimately decide what these dates will be and when that will happen. Then you go on from there. You've got then a quarterfinal round because you're down to eight teams. The the four that win those first round games uh, will play the four that had a bye. The, the semifinals, which we're used to currently already, and then the national championship. Those seven games, the four quarterfinals, the two semifinals, and the national championship would all be played at bowls on a rotating basis, very similar to what happens now with the, the two semifinals and the national championship game. And then as part of this, the, the college football playoff committee is largely going to look the same, do a lot of the same stuff. They, they shared some news uh, about the rotation of the bowls and honoring existing agreements with bowls and conferences and all that stuff, you know, like a Big Ten champion in the Rose Bowl, for example, all that kind of thing. Um, one thing of note is that when we get to the semifinals, the higher seeds will receive preferential placement for where they want to be. So how would this have looked last year? I've already given you the top four seeds. Again, that would have been Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, and Baylor as the four highest ranked um, conference champs. But after that, it's just based on um, ranking of these six at-larges and then the two next highest conference champions. So last year, here's how these uh, first round matchups would have looked. Fifth seeded Georgia, who finished as number three in the overall rankings. They are the top at-large seed, but they get that five seed because the, the top four are all given to conference champs. They would play, they would have played number 12 uh, seed Pitt, who were the ACC champs last year. Number six, Notre Dame and at, and at large, who was number five in the final poll, would have played number 11 Utah as the Pac-12 champ. So it's interesting, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. all of these at large seeds last year would have ranked higher than the fifth and sixth place conference champs from the Pac-12 and the ACC. So 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 would have been Georgia, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Oklahoma State, Michigan State. And so you would have had, um, we've already talked about two of those, but then number seven, Ohio State uh, hosting number 10, Michigan State, and number eight, Ole Miss hosting number nine, Oklahoma State. Really interesting stuff there. I love this for college football. I think it's great. I think um, we've seen it at every other level and and finally things are coming. I I do wonder how it's the toll it's going to take on these young men and their bodies and, and things of that nature. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens with all that. I really hope they can get this done for 2024. Get it into gear as soon as possible. Why not get it going? One thing to watch for me. This is going to be great for really really good teams. There's some teams who want to get in who think they're really good that are going to be exposed in big, huge ways. And uh, that will be very interesting to see how that all comes. Part of the thing with the college football playoff expansion is you never know who's going to get in from the early parts of the season because in this day and age of the transfer portal, things are a little bit wacky and wild and you never know what a new player in a new place is going to do. Speaking of the transfer portal, we have new transfer portal window information from the NCAA. We're going to talk about that next. 
you might recall that earlier this summer, uh, there were some new proposals that came out regarding transfers. The, the two main are pieces of information that were on the table with that, at least as far as the public is concerned, is number one, the possibility of unlimited transfers with immediate eligibility. Obviously, you can transfer as many times as you want, as long as you have eligibility, but you got to sit out. And then for the past couple of years, we've had the one-time transfer rule that comes with immediate eligibility. You can transfer once and you're immediately eligible to play no questions asked. Brady Manick, Dawson Garcia, uh, Justin McCoy, and then this year Pete Nance would be examples of that from the North Carolina men's basketball team. Um, but the option that was on the table was taking those restrictions off and it's like, you transfer as many times as you want. You can immediately play, no questions asked. And then the second thing is that there were was the possibility of having notification of transfer windows, like certain um, moments in the calendar where players could declare their intention to transfer so that it just wasn't willy-nilly and all over the place. So those we got information on both of those two critical items last week, and I just want to share those with you and unpack it a little bit. Number one, the unlimited transfer possibility. I said when we talked about this in the summer, I was not in favor of this. I thought it would just make things a little bit too crazy. I love the one-time transfer rule because I think there's so many student athletes who get somewhere, realize for one reason or another, it's not the right place, uh, not the right coach, not the right system for me, not the right program for me, whatever it may be. You just don't always know that until you get into it. But then you you got to start figuring it out. Now that you've seen it, you can know how to make the right call uh, more capably so. And so I was anti this unlimited transfer rule. And good news for me, it was shot down. So that is not going to be a thing. And I, that just makes sense. We're only a couple cycles into the one-time transfer rule. Let's let that unfold a little bit longer and see what we've actually got with the one-time transfer rule before we start just doling it out like candy to babies. So uh, I am very glad for this and we'll see what goes on there. The other thing, the one that takes a little bit longer to unpack is the notification of transfer windows. Here's the basic um, short version of this story. Each sports season, so fall, winter, spring sports, will each have a 60-day window in which student-athletes can declare officially their intention to enter the transfer portal. And this 60-day uh, window will either come in one chunk of 60 days or in a 45 and a 15-day window at different moments in the calendar. So let me um, un un unpack that for each of the seasons, but just first explain a little bit more about what this means. So for example, any student athlete can declare at any time, hey, I'm, I'm leaving the school, I'm entering the transfer portal, blast it all over social media and everything, and that's great. But what this means is that you can't officially do it in terms of declaring it to the NCAA and your name officially going on the transfer portal, the portal itself, unless it's within these windows. And so this just creates structure that, that coaches know, hey, this is the time when, when student athletes will be declaring their transfer intentions and when I can be watching for it so that it's not like, all right, you get up, you have your morning coffee literally every day and you check the transfer portal to see what's going on. No, this puts limits on it so that uh, coaches aren't being driven quite so crazy as they are now. So let's go season by season. Fall sports, so football or other things going on now. 
the, their 60-day window for fall sports is broken into two. There will be 45 days after championship selections are made. So in the case of college football, that would mean after all the CFP reveal and, and the bowls, the next day would begin that 45-day window. And then you've got the final 15 days of the 60-day window coming from May 1 to May 15. What that does, specifically for football, for example, is if after spring practice, you realize, oh, I'm going to be about 18th on the depth chart. Maybe it's time for me to look to go somewhere else. So that provides, hey, we've had spring practice. We see where things are at. We've had some conversations. And now I'm going to hop in to the transfer portal. And so um, additionally, because of, you know, there's quite a long time for, for teams that are in the college football playoff itself, particularly the championship game, where you're going to run right up to that 45-day window. And so the NCAA says, quote, reasonable accommodations will be made for participants in the FBS and FCS championship game. So keep that in mind. Okay, winter sports. It's going to be just one 60-day chunk beginning the day after championship selections are made. So let's just use men's college basketball. You have selection Sunday. The very next day, that Monday, the transfer portal officially opens for the winter sports or for men's college basketball in the example we're using. And you've got 60 days from then to declare your intent to enter the transfer portal. And uh, for men's basketball, again, that's the day after selection Sunday. And so you got 60 days. And then for spring sports, it's kind of flipped from fall sports. You will have a 15-day window from December 1 to December 15. So that basically means if you're pro, let's say baseball has fall practice and you kind of see the lay of the land, then in December, you're able to hit the transfer portal because maybe I'm going to be the, you know, I'm not going to make the starting rotation or whatever it may be. And then similar to the others, you've got a 45-day window beginning the day after championship selections are made. So let's stay with baseball. The day after the baseball bracket is revealed, 45-day window opens up for you to enter the transfer portal. So that's, that's all the news there with that. Let me just give some takeaways as I see it for uh, basketball, because that, that is the biggest one that I think a lot of people tuning in, at least from all the feedback I get, a, a, the vast majority of people tuning in is because you want to know men's basketball content. And so here's what I see when I look at the, the news for winter sports. In the same way that for the fall sports uh, athletes that are in, let's say, the national championship and the reasonable accommodations that are going to be made, why can't the same reasonable accommodations be made for not necessarily all 68 teams in March Madness, but maybe the Sweet 16 or at least the Final Four? Um, for example, you make the national championship game in college in men's college basketball, you've basically lost the first third of that 60-day window, 21 days, essentially. And that, that cuts off a lot of that. And so you as a coach then are having to deal with, do I prepare for this NCAA tournament game or do I make a phone call to player X's mom or handler or player X himself? And like, that just seems like a weird dichotomy. And so like, it's a minor quibble, but for me, why not start right after the national championship game or during final four weekend? And, and then you can get it going and, and have that. Thing. And I know that for, for basketball, that's going to bleed into NBA deadlines and some other things like that. So maybe that has some things to do with it, but also 
college basketball coaches in April kind of have this early recruiting period or evaluation period where they can look at and see high school talent before really beginning those conversations with them in the summer on the AAU circuit. And so what's that might need to change because now you're trying to say, do I want to go see this 15, 16, 17 year old kid? Or do I want to get on the phone with a veteran college basketball player who's ready to help our team today? and try to get him on campus for an official visit. Man, that that is part of what this, this window, I think the window to have structure with it is great, but it's going to have some overlap there that we gotta pay real attention to. And so there might need to be a shift in the high school recruiting calendar to make up for this so that coaches aren't trying to oddly divide their time and attention either between games and transfer recruiting or between transfer recruiting and high school recruiting. Uh, it's just it's just another wrinkle in all of this. There's always wrinkles that you got to work out and those will be a couple that I see that need to be worked out with this transfer portal uh, notification window, which ultimately is a good thing. But as with anything, again, it will bring its wrinkles. Ah, man, we're getting close to midweek. It's been great to talk today. Can't wait for tomorrow. Coach Pat Kilby and I are going to unpack for you each what we believe are the top 10 Carolina men's basketball teams in history and where we think this year's team is going to fit into that or if it will. Uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do that at Locked on Heels. You can follow me at Isaac Shade. Would love to have you subscribe to the show, whether it's in audio or video formats. It really does mean a lot and it really does help. And so I know it doesn't take much time and it might seem like a silly thing, but it really does help us out. So please, if you would subscribe to the show. And for those of you watching, smash the like button and leave some comments on your thoughts on all of this extravaganza. Now, for your second listen, go check out the Ultimate Pro Football Preview, an eight-episode extravaganza to get you ready for the 2022 NFL season. The local team experts of the Locked On Podcast Network and the Odyssey Insiders all combining into one Ultimate NFL Preview. Search for Ultimate Pro Football Preview 2022 on your Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks so much for spending part of your Tuesday hanging out with me talking Carolina athletics. And I want to remind you that it's always a great day to be a target. Until tomorrow, peace. <laughs>